0: Welcome to True North Vineyard Podcast, where we share our Sunday gathering messages. True North is a vibrant church plant community located in Traverse City, Michigan area. We are centered in the Bible and follow the example of Jesus praying, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. We hope that our Sunday gathering messages encourage you to lean into the word of God and compel you to take action. To connect with us, visit our website, VineyardTrueNorth.ChurchCenter.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at True North Vineyard.
1: Well, last week we went ahead and started our new series uh, called Renewal, and we've been in a text in Luke that we're going to be in for a few more weeks. We're going to take a pause next week because I'll be, uh, Brooke and I are going to go down to the Vineyard National in North Carolina, but we'll be back soon thereafter. But uh, we've been kind of walking through the book of Luke for the last 10 months, and this passage that Jesus is doing, is uh, he's renewing the covenant of Israel. He's bringing these guys up on the mountain, and he's restoring the commission that was given to Israel back at Sinai. And so... Uh, We're going to be talking a little bit about that. Last week we talked about Abraham and the story of how it all began and how the world just went awry prior to Abraham. And then Abraham was called and that his lineage, from his lineage, would come the redemption of the world. This week we're going to talk about Exodus and how this is the most important story to Israel's identity and also our identity In a few weeks, we'll talk about the monarchy, then the exile, and lastly, we'll finish up the series on who is the church and what is the mission of the church. So with that, let's go ahead and jump to a couple passages. Uh, I will be starting in Luke chapter 6. Well, that's where we'll go in the Luke passage, and then we'll start in Exodus chapter 19, verses 1 through 8. So if you guys have a Bible and you want to follow, go ahead. Otherwise, you can look up on the screen. So I'm going to start in Exodus chapter 19, verses 1 through 8, in the New Living Translation. It said, Exactly two months after the Israelites left Egypt, they arrived in the wilderness of Sinai. After breaking camp at Rephidim, they came to the wilderness of Sinai and set up camp there at the base of Mount Sinai. Then Moses climbed to the mountain to appear before God. The Lord said to him from the mountain and said, Give these instructions to the family of Jacob. Announce it to the descendants of Israel. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. You, now, you know how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now if you will obey me and commit, and keep my covenant, you will be my, spe, my own special treasure from among all the peoples on the earth. For all the earth belongs to me. And you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation." This is the message you must give to the people of Israel. So Moses returned from the mountain and called together the elders of the people and told them everything the Lord had commanded him. And all the people responded together, We will do everything the Lord has commanded. Going to Luke 6. One day, soon afterward, Jesus went up on a mountain to pray. And he prayed to God all night. At daybreak, he called, them, uh, he called together of all of his disciples and chose 12 of them to be apostles. Here are their names. Simon, who he named Peter, Andrew, Peter's brother, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who is called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed him. When they came down from the mountain, the disciples stood with Jesus on a large level area, surrounded by many of his followers and by the crowds. There were people from all over Judea and from Jerusalem and from as far north as the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon. They had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those troubled by evil spirits were healed. Everyone tried to touch him because healing power went out from him and he healed everyone. Let's go ahead and pray. If you guys would do me a favor, just put your hands out in front of you. Just say this, come Holy Spirit. I'm just going to bless you. Come, Holy Spirit. I ask that you would just touch our hearts today, that this text would not just be intellectual, but it would be something we can engage with, that you would just propel us to action, and that you would just, you would just transform us into the men and women you've called us to be. So, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would come, illuminate this text, open our eyes to see, open up our ears to hear, and that you would just be with us. In Jesus' name. So let me kind of give some background. Jesus, the story of uh, Luke so far has been that Jesus uh, has come onto the scene during a tumultuous time. Israel has failed their commission, and they've been brought back into the land out of exile, but for hundreds of years they're awaiting this call to uh be back as the people of god that the messiah is going to come and that from there they're going to fulfill the commission so jesus comes into this scene is baptized in the jordan by john the baptist filled by the uh, filled with the holy spirit goes into the wilderness and is tempted by the devil and the chief temptation is i will give you all the nations we talked about this last week how the nations were scattered and Satan says, I will give you the nations because they've been handed to me. And Jesus says, Oh, he says, if you would worship me. And Jesus responds, No, I can't worship you. You must worship the Lord God only. And he had a battle plan. That was, Jesus is saying, I am going to reclaim the nations, but it won't be by worshiping you. So Jesus comes out of that victorious in the power of the Spirit. And he goes to Nazareth, his hometown. And he proclaims to them by opening up the scroll of Isaiah and he reads it. He says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me for he has anointed me to proclaim uh, the gospel to the poor, to uh, proclaim, uh, to liberate the captives, to heal the sick, to uh, liberate those who are oppressed and to proclaim the day of the Lord's favor. And Jesus goes about all of Galilee and all of Judea and begins to heal the sick and cast out demons. And now he's forgiving sins. This has, this has brought a large following. Everyone is coming from all over the place and they're watching his miracles, they're listening to his teachings and he's got this large swath of guys that are his disciples. So he calls these guys and he takes them up a mountain and out of these he chooses 12 men that are going to represent him, that he's going to pour his life and his teachings, and they're going to share in his vocation. They're going to do as he does. And these 12 men, that number is a figurative number to represent the 12 tribes of Israel. And these 12 guys and Jesus come back down, and Jesus comes to the base of the mountain, and all these people are waiting just to get healed, to hear his words, to feel his love and Jesus begins to heal them all this is a reminiscent of the story of Sinai when Moses goes up onto the mountain and speaks with God and comes back down to give the law because in the next text which we'll touch after this series Jesus gives the Beatitudes his sermon on the Mount and he gives them the new law he gives them the new things they are to follow we will touch that in its whole new series That will be weeks from now, so don't worry about that. But let's go ahead and jump back in time so we can see what this is. So to get to the Exodus, I need to kind of play the story just a bit. Last week we talked about Abraham, and we went through his story. But Abraham had a son named Isaac, and Isaac had two sons named Esau and Jacob. And Jacob steals the blessing from his brother, but ends up experiencing this moment with God to such a degree that God blesses him, and he carries on the vocation. And from Jacob comes 12 sons, and these 12 sons will become the 12 tribes of Israel. But Jacob has a favorite. Jacob chooses Joseph, and the reason he chooses Joseph is because he's the son of his favorite wife. You know, Jacob has a favorite wife, and this child is like one child that she was able to bear of her own, and so he puts all his favoritism on this boy. But also God puts a gift on his life. God gives him a prophetic gift and gives him dreams and visions. And he has this dream and this vision and all his brothers are just like so annoyed with him. They're like, come on. Like you get our father's favor and now you, you think that you're better than us. So these other brothers, they decide, hey, we're gonna, we're gonna kill him off. We don't like him very much. He's, he's a turd. We're gonna get rid of him. But at the last second they change their mind and they sell him into slavery instead. And so they fake his death to his father. The father's crying and weeping. And Joseph goes down to Egypt and becomes a slave. But the blessing of God stays with Joseph. Joseph rises to the ranks. He's using his gift. He's using his blessing that the Lord gave him. And he's rising. He goes through a tumultuous time. But then he rises again to the highest place as second only to Pharaoh in the land. And that's because he's been given the interpretation. His prophetic gift is allowing him to foresee the famines that are happening or about to happen. And so Egypt becomes the centerpiece of all blessing, that all the nations now can swarm to Egypt, and they'll sell their goods. So the other brothers end up in Egypt because they want to buy the food from Egypt. Sorry, the brothers come to Egypt because they want to buy the grain. And through a lot of trickery, Joseph reunifies his brothers there's a great reconciliation and jacob comes down and sees his boy and we have a good ending that's chapters 12 through 50 in a very short place of genesis right so the exodus starts 400 plus years after that and what we understand is that the pharaohs later down the road Forget about Joseph. And the 12 brothers become this massive tribe. Millions of people now are living in the land. And the Pharaohs look at Israel not as a blessing, not as these, you know, not as people they like, but they're foreigners in the land. They're an existential threat. And so what they do is they enslave them, they make them do the things that only slaves do. And then they have a genocide of all the young boys in the land. The story of Exodus begins with Moses, who is a boy who escapes this genocide. His mother ships him down the lake and down the river, and he's adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. And he is raised in Pharaoh's court. But as he's raised and he grows up, he recognizes that his kind, the Israelites, are slaves. And he watches as this Egyptian slave master is beating his slave, and so Moses intervenes, kills the Egyptian, buries him in the sand, but becomes fugitive number one of Egypt. Pharaoh is after him, and so Moses runs away and he hides away in this little with this little tribe of Midians, the little Midianites, and he becomes a shepherd. Well, he spends about 40 years in this state, and as he's doing that. The Lord appears to him on a mountain. Far off, he's doing a shepherding thing, and all of a sudden there's a bush of fire, but it's not being consumed. He's like, what's going on? And curiosity gets the better of him, and he shows up, and all of a sudden he's in front of God. And God begins to tell him that he is about to deliver Israel from slavery. That he's going to use Moses and his brother Aaron to deliver the people from there, and they are to come back to Sinai to worship him and that they will also inherit the promised land. So Moses goes back, comes into Pharaoh's court, and says, Pharaoh, the God of Israel, Yahweh, has demanded that his people go out and worship him. And Pharaoh says, no. And what happens is a series of plagues begin to happen, ten plagues in all. Each of them are starting with Pharaoh's obstinence before God, which has now elevated Pharaoh to be a rival deity. He is now denying another god their people. And so he's standing in this space of obstinance, but opposition as well. And so every time a plague would fall, Pharaoh would say, please call it off. Tell him to stop. And it would stop. But he wouldn't let them go. His heart would be hardened. So you have this happen 10 separate times all the way until we get to the last one, which we know as Passover, where all of Israel is told to put the blood of the Lamb on their doorposts because the destroyer will pass over them, but it will kill off all of the firstborn children who don't have the blood of the Lamb. So on that night, the Israelites put their blood on the uh, blood of the Lamb on their doorposts. The destroyer comes by and kills all the livestock, the firstborn of the livestock, all the children of Egypt that are the firstborn, and Pharaoh's son. At this point in time, Pharaoh is broken. Pharaoh realizes that he has no power. He and the other powers that are uh, spiritual entities of Egypt cannot hold back Yahweh from delivering his people. So he says, go, leave. So Moses takes all the people out to the wilderness, uh, all the way out to the Red Sea, And Pharaoh changes his mind again. He says, nope, we're gonna have our armies get them. We need them back. And as they come, God opens up the Red Sea. The people go through the Red Sea. Egypt goes after them. And the waters collapse and they die. So we see that God first is the liberator. God liberates his people from slavery. But now they're in this space between here and there. All of a sudden as they're on their journey to Sinai they're hungry. There's no food. They're thirsty. There's no water. And they begin to cry and they begin to say, man, why couldn't we just stay there? At least there was water and food there. And God begins to provide manna and quail and water from the rock. And then as they're going to Sinai, they're attacked by this massive army of Amalekites and they have to go to war and God raises up warriors. And they defeat the Amalekites. And then they finally get to the base of the mountain. God's presence falls on the mountain. It is a scary sight. The people are in awe. Moses goes up, receives the commands from God. And they say, if they will take upon my commands, they will be my people. So he comes back down. The elders and everyone say, we want to take on the covenant. They receive God's law and become the covenantal people. The story of the Exodus is the most important story in the Hebrew Bible. And the reason it's the most important story in the Hebrew Bible is because it's the identity of Israel. When they look at this story, they are saying of themselves, we were once slaves, but we were set free. And not only were we set free, but we were called into a vocation to be a holy nation. We have been called to redeem the nations. They looked at themselves and they said, we have been chosen by God, and we have been set free from, by God. Now, the reason this is the most important story also for us as Christians is because it is the largest metaphor the New Testament writers use of Christianity and what Jesus has done. Jesus has inaugurated the, great, the greater Exodus. Because of Jesus's death and resurrection, he has defeated the dark powers. He has overthrown sin and death. And because of that, we have been, uh, the alleviation of our slavery and our bondage to sin has been dealt with. We are no longer stuck in that. So we can join Israel and say, we, like Israel, have been slaved. Uh, We have been saved from slavery. We are no longer in bondage. But, we also have this problem of the wilderness. Israel steps in, and they are no longer slaves, but they're they're not yet in the Promised Land. They're in a liminal space, it's an in-between space. They are stuck between what they once were and what they will be. And in this liminal space, they aren't in the land of milk and honey yet. They don't have all the glory yet. They don't have all the, 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 the abundance of what's promised. They're stuck with no food, no water. They're grumbling, they're fighting wars. And yet, at the same time, God is meeting their needs. He's providing for them in this space. Why is that important for us? Well, I'd like to say this. We live in a liminal space. We live in a place where we are no longer slaves, but we are not in the kingdom yet fully. The kingdom is already, but it's not yet. We still struggle with sin. We still struggle with doubt. We still struggle with the broken conditions of the world. You're still working through relational problems with people who are broken. You're still struggling with your own problems. You're still struggling with your own selfishness. We still struggle with fear and anxiety, sickness, chronic disease. We are still struggling with all of these things. We still experience lack. We still experience not having enough resources, not enough money. We still struggle with all of the world system. It's not fixed yet. We're in a liminal space. But in this space, we've been given the Holy Spirit who is now able to, we are allowed, uh, let me say it this way. The Spirit has been given to us for our comfort, our encouragement, for our empowerment. He is guiding us. And these struggles that we have with our own brokenness, our own sinful nature, we are now empowered by the Spirit to overcome those things. That are base the holy spirit is the one who transforms us and and he guides us into truth we are able to overcome the present evil system as he as he is guiding our lives we are to live in the spirit and during this time of the broken condition we can ask god to provide for us the kingdom comes and he heals the sick We can ask him to heal us physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. We can come to him to ask for financial gain. We can ask him to meet our needs. We can ask him to uh, alleviate our fears and our doubts. Because when he acts, the kingdom comes. The kingdom breaks in. Because Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, we can now expect him to move on our behalf. But we keep this intention... We as Christians don't just get to have all the blessings all the time. But we're also not subject to all the brokenness all the time. We have to keep intention that there is a reality of Christian suffering. That we will go through trials and tests and tribulations because this is a test. We are called as the people of God to go to the promised land. But in this process there is pain involved because at the end we inherit the kingdom. We inherit the new creation. But if we don't go through the pain and the trials and the tribulations, we will not be equipped to tend to the new garden of Eden that God is providing. We are called to to a vocation to live in God's presence and rely on his goodness. Through thick and thin, through sickness and death, we are in a marriage covenant with the Lord. That is what it means for us to be the bride of Christ. We are in a covenant no matter how bad things get and also to lean on him when things are bad and when things are good. We step into that space because he provides and he loves us and he's guiding us along this journey so that we will inherit the good. Also understand, just like Israel, we're going to go through war, just like they fought the Amalekites in the wilderness. We have an enemy who's fighting us in our wilderness. We go through spiritual warfare, and we are to have two postures. We have a defensive posture in which we resist the temptations that come our way. We resist doing evil. We resist our own personal struggles. And we lean on the Holy Spirit to guide us out of our struggles, to lean on God even when things are painful, to lean on God even when we feel assaulted. Because his peace comes as we pray and petition and we seek him. Then we are to also take an offensive posture. And that offensive posture is that he saves people from their brokenness. The main thing that we have to understand is that when we proclaim the forgiveness of sins, when we proclaim that and they receive Jesus as their savior, they are no longer slaves. They join our family. We are proclaiming the forgiveness of sins to the nations because that's our call. And they come into this family with us towards the promised land. Spiritual warfare is evangelism. Spiritual warfare is speaking the gospel. And every time we speak the gospel and we proclaim his name, people, Satan's, uh, Satan's dominion shifts. It breaks. Paul says it like this in Colossians. He says, For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear Son, who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Also, realize that you've been empowered to see God move in powerful ways. Just like Jesus in Luke 4, when he says, that the Spirit of God is upon me for He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see and the oppressed will be set free and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. You are called into that because you have the same Spirit. We proclaim the gospel. We tend to the needs of the poor. We love the marginalized. We fight for the rights of people who are, are weak. We pray for healing and God acts. The Spirit is on us so we act with the Spirit to see the kingdom come and yet we live in tension that he is both already and not yet. Last thing and I'll close. When they get to the mountain, Israel is called into a covenant and Moses goes up and he says, if you will obey my commands, you will be my people. If you obey my word, You will be my treasured possession. You will be my holy nation. You will be the kingdom of priests. Well, this happens, this is figurative here in Luke 6. But let me bring you to Matthew 28. Matthew 28, verse 16 says, Then the eleven disciples, for Judas Iscariot had already betrayed him. Disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some of them doubted. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. Jesus brings his disciples to a mountain just like Israel was is brought to a mountain. And Jesus gives them the commission that if you obey my commands, you are my people. And that is to go to all the nations, that if they are discipled, they are brought in to the commands. We teach the scriptures, we teach the biblical text because that's what is the blessing to us. We receive the text, we receive the words, we receive the spirit. And from that, we receive the blessings of God. Like Israel, we have been called to redeem the world by living out the scriptures and acting in a way that represents his heart for the nations. We are to embody the covenant of the Lord and walk out our vocation on our journey to the promised land. We are in training to inherit the kingdom to come so that we are able to tend God's new creation, when he comes. We are called into something far greater than just hell insurance. Salvation is not just escaping a dark reality. Salvation means that you take upon the covenant and you do as it says. It's not enough just to be liberated from enslavement. We're brought to Sinai. We're brought to the covenant. And it is now at this point that we hear God say, if you will live by my commands, you will be my treasured possession. We are called into a vocation, we have a job title. And you and I are called to do something far greater than we ever thought possible. And God's going to do something mighty in your life. He's going to do something mighty in you going to do something mighty in me. And I'm excited about the future. Let's stand. I'm going to bless you and then we'll go ahead and transition into the next part of our service. Father, I bless your people tonight. I pray that your presence would come upon them that they would feel the weight of your anointing and your power. And God, I pray that you would give them boldness in their arena of their lives, that wherever they go, they have boldness. Wherever they have influence, God, you would give them favor. God, they would be a blessing to others. And God, would they bless the nations. I bless them in Jesus' name.
0: Thanks again for tuning in to the True North Vineyard podcast. We hope that you are blessed by this message. To connect with us, be sure to visit our website, North.churchcenter.com, and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at True North Finger. We hope to see you soon.